Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Henderson, and welcome to another episode of Alma, Am I Racist? You can find out more about the podcast and who the wonderful woman Alma was by going to our website, almamiracist.com. And today, uh, her name is Peta, P-E-T-A Dukes, and she's in Durban, South Africa, and she is a recovery coach, a certified recovery coach. And if you want to go check her out on her Instagram, it's Peta Dukes Coaching. She specializes in recovery from addictions, also trauma and the mother wound. And that's how I came to work with Peta. Now, I am so delighted to introduce you today, Peta, and to have you with me on this journey and for you to share what your childhood was like growing up in South Africa and your Zulu mother. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for asking me. I'm very excited to chat with you today and tell you a little bit about how it was. We all live with the trauma. We live with the trauma that, sorry, the the, the tears come a little bit, but the boys we knew at school at the age of 18 were all conscripted into the army. And those boys went away. And when they came home two years later, they weren't the same. They never came home. They were brutalized beyond, you know, and it's it's not something that's really spoken about. And I don't know that that was actually dealt with at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And every white family in, in South Africa lives with trauma of that brutalization. Yes. Um, which which can't be, com- it cannot be compared with the, with the brutalization that the black people suffered at the hands of the white people in this country. Um, it can't be compared, but it is real. And it means that our entire society is traumatized. And something like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission can't actually deal with the physical trauma that we all live with on a daily basis in our lives. And so we have these explosions, (laughs) you know, sort of emotional explosions that happen all over the country all the time because that trauma hasn't really been dealt with. Um, And it's a huge task, and I don't know how one does it. Well, and that that was going to lead me to my next subject, which is there is great trauma on both sides. I've seen it with white men who served in the army and were in the police force and brutalized Black people. And the guilt that I have seen and the effort to wipe away all those wrongs by making good now and by drinking too much and coping with the trauma of having done that, knowing deep down that that's wrong, that 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 is desperately wrong, and then trying to make good on it piecemeal without, as you said, dealing with it. And then the Black people traumatized to me to this day by not being seen as human beings with dignity, treated with dignity and respect, and also not treated financially the same. Absolutely. And I, th- I think, you know, I'm, I mean, a lot has changed. Okay. A lot has changed. Um and, and that change is more evident in the cities and less in the sort of farming communities. But, but there has been a change in 
in the cosmopolitan areas, in, in how people interact, in the kinds of jobs that people have. The problem is we have 60% of our population, almost 60% unemployed. And there has been a change and there hasn't been a change. You know, they right. kind of there is some change and yet there's still a lot of in, injustice what would we call it sort of legacy injustice that ha- that hasn't been addressed we suffer from that here in the states as well i mean slavery ended in the mid 1800s and there are still levels of slavery alive today Absolutely. it's better it's better since the civil rights movement in the 60s but that systemic racism is still you know, very much evident institutionally and individually. But I mean, your work is a recovery coach and you specialize in trauma. Yeah. Will will you say what have if you had the power to be the minister of trauma recovery for South Africa, what would you do? I really haven't actually thought about it. I deal with I deal with trauma on a daily basis myself and and um, in my in my own life, and I help anybody who asks me with their trauma. But I haven't actually thought how we would deal with it on a national scale. You have you have a man by the name of Resma Menachem in in the states who talks about the fact that. We actually, white bodies and black bodies carry the trauma of the past, that it's actually passed down in our cells. He's a very interesting man. He's an embodiment coach as well. And he talks about the fact that we actually need to heal these traumas separately. It can't be done together. And we need forums where people can come and talk about the trauma and how it affects them on a daily basis. That's what we need. So the idea of working individually on trauma and healing our own trauma, is that a good way to start? Absolutely, absolutely. Because unprocessed trauma means that we are not in control of what of our, of our reactions you know and so then you get this very reactive explosive society um and so the more we can process our own trauma the more we can have a responsive society that that doesn't just explode into reactive uh, road rage <laughs> road rage is the one thing that I, you know yes. that's just so so clear and I think that the trauma is on so many, so many levels that it's societal, it's it's cultural, it's personal, it's familial, and it's it. Once we start to process our trauma and become more aware of what our unconscious patterns are, we'll be more at choice about how we interact with other people. So yeah, it has to start at the personal level. And then it begins to clear away, I think, our own projections on, well, those people are bad. Really, I'm thinking I'm a bad person and it's easier to project it onto someone else. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, what we call white guilt in South Africa. And I'm sure you have the same in in America. Um, White guilt does that. There's this desperate need to compensate for what happened in the past and also not, not to not to be blamed. And so we blame. We, it's not like that anymore. Why are you blaming us still? 
because we don't want to feel the guilt that we actually do carry. And I think that that guilt has to be processed as a group, as white people in the country. And the very real shame and guilt that the black people carry just for the color of their skin also needs to be processed. But, you know, that shame and guilt that's been projected onto them. Ah, uh, yes, people. yes. Yeah. And yet I see in a lot of the black people that I met is this dignity. Absolutely. 100%. And, and this innate kindness that is not so not deserved, but it is there. I mean, I came from a predominantly black neighborhood in Atlanta and I moved to South Africa. So people would say, how is it being with all the black people at the grocery store? And I was like, um, there are more white people here in the grocery store. So I was automatically like kind of confused and I would walk in and I would smile at a black person in the shock and then the giant smile. Absolutely. And I just, I thought, why is this so hard? And what I witnessed when I visited South Africa and when I lived there was this almost invisibility, especially of, of Black workers. Absolutely. Lisa, I do think that it, you also have to, we also have to like put it into context. Where you lived was a particularly conservative place that hasn't changed much, you know? The whole of South Africa isn't like that. However, um, I will say, Peter, most of the people that I met moved from Cape Town, Joburg, Pretoria. They came from big cities. And some of the reasons why they came to a place like that would have been uh, that they were trying to get away from. Get away from the crime in the city. Okay. So even though and they so would say they were progressive, yes, because... Yeah. We, we did. We lived way out in the country, out in, in the bush. Yeah. Okay. And in the north, in the north where the attitudes are still very um, archaic, really. I see. So it'd be similar to the U.S. going out into the cornfields <laughs> and expecting the Ku Klux Klan not to still be there. I, yes. I, got, I yeah. got We have to make that distinction because it isn't all like that, you know. However, I did have an experience, and it's quite a long time ago now, though, I suppose. It was about 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago, where I had my hair braided in cornrows. I had a Zulu lady come to my home and, and braid my hair for me, and it changed. I was seen in a different way by the African people because I had an African hairstyle. So and you were seen as more of a kindred spirit. Absolutely. And when I took them out, when I took the braids out, it, it was marked. I just was no longer seen. Interesting. So there, you know, there are these layers of society, but one can move through them simply by acknowledging everybody's humanity. You know, somebody said to me a while ago, as I'm standing for the organic humanity movement, oh, but you've got all these traditionally black areas. How are you going to work there? And I said, well, I've been going in and out of townships since I was 16. I know how to make myself at home there. One can't transcend everything, but one can transcend a lot if one acknowledges everyone's humanity. 
And I think that is the beauty of the work you do and also who you are. And I just want to say, PETA is available for work on Zoom all over. I've never met her in person. We've only met on Zoom and worked together on Zoom. This is the beauty of the internet and the pandemic in a way, is that, that we were able to take all of this human interaction, make it real, and so I cannot recommend working with PETA highly enough because whatever level of trauma, it's important for us to work on our own. And then, then as we go out, like you say, and the townships for people in the U.S. are the Black communities. And there's very little integration that I saw even in the cities in South Africa. So no, there's a fair amount, there, there is a fair amount of integration. The traditionally in inverted commas white areas do have a lot of people of other color living there, although they are still predominantly in inverted commas white areas. So there has been some integration, but the integration has been into the suburbia, traditionally in inverted commas white areas. There hasn't been an integration of white people out into the traditionally into the township. Um, into the townships and the black communities. There are the odd people who live out there, but very odd. They are by far the exception rather than um, something that one would expect to see. So although there has been some integration, it's, it's not the kind that one would expect to see. No. I want to end with you telling us a little bit about Daphne and what she meant, how she changed you, and what her 70th birthday was like. Sure. I always call Daph my Zulu mother. She really was a mother figure to me. You know, my mom worked, and when I came home from school, Daph was there. She was in early in the mornings, and she would make our food for us and our breakfast and pack our school lunches and all of that kind of thing. And she she was just a very loving, steady presence in our home. And she was um, a very spiritual person, and she loved with her whole heart. And in Zulu, we have something, the word for humanity in Zulu is Ubuntu. And it's a word many people might have heard. The saying goes, Ubuntu ngomuntu ngabantu. And what that means is people are people because of people. So a person is a person because of people. Sorry, that's that's a better translation. And that, I think, Daf taught me the essence of that when I was a little girl. She saw my humanity. She knew that I, I was untidy and all my little foibles and everything and that I shouldn't be discriminated against by my mother because I wasn't how she thought I should be. <laughs> and, she, and she stood up for me whenever she could. And um, my sister was talking about her the other day and she said, you know, when I think of Daph, I could, my sister's 12 years younger than me. So, so Daphne was there when she was very little. And she said she can remember every curve of Daphne's body, you know, because Daphne carried her for a lot oh, of her life, her wow. little life, you know. She really was our other mother and our, the sort of the main rock in our lives. I went, so going to her 70th birthday was an amazing thing. I started about 15 years ago 
my ex-husband and I had money that we would give to charity and um, came across this idea that one should give to the people in one's community that one knows. And I said to him, could we put 200 rand a month into an account for Daphne so that she could have some things that she might not otherwise have because she didn't have a pension or anything like that. And so I started that and I started putting 200 rand a month into an account for her. And then both my sisters started contributing as well. And then so did my mother. And when I went to her 70th birthday, she had pictures for us because the money that we had put away for her, she had a bathroom built that, oh. um, that had running water with a geezer um, because, you know, in, in those, the places well, well, where Daph lives, the people still had to fetch water and there was no hot water in the house and there was outside toilets, you know. We actually had a bathroom built for her with the door into the house, so into her bedroom. So she actually had an ensuite bathroom with hot water and handles in her shower that she could hold on to as she gets older and all sorts wow. of things. So that was very lovely at her 70th birthday. And also I spoke at her 70th birthday, my mom and I went and I spoke about the fact that she had taught me what Ubuntu means and thanked her children for lending her to us. And afterwards she came to me and she gave me a big hug and she said, I didn't know that you thought so highly of me. Oh. Um, so that was quite a moment. And I do every now and again phone and speak to her, not as often as I should. But yes, I know her children and we, well, they live so far away, three and a half hours from where I live now. But I'm able to, I suppose, make a positive contribution to her lifestyle. Well, and what's so evident is the contribution she made to your life and how now you are taking that out into the world to make change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without question, uh, it's really important that I emphasize that my mom is also the reason that I am taking this out into the world. I had two very strong role models, Daph and my mom. And it surely is a testament to the strength of those two beautiful women that I am doing the work that I'm doing now. Yes, I think um, I'm going to call this episode my Zulu mom. Yes, so Daph will know this is for her. And absolutely. So I should have I should have said her full name at the start of the podcast, and I will say it now. Her because in South Africa, most Zulu people have an English name and a Zulu name. Okay, so good. Daph, we called her Daphne, but her full name is Ntombi Futi Daphne Mplongo. And I just want to put her full name here for her to uh, hear if she comes to listen to the podcast. Yes. So she knows she is honored for her full self. Absolutely. The work she did with you and the work you're continuing and to your bio mother as well. And then I always think the spirit of Alma is what moved me to do this. So thanks to Alma in heaven. Absolutely. And, and thank you so much for the work you do, Lisa. Oh, thank you for being willing to talk to us in such depth about this, Peter. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's not often that I get a chance to speak my full mind about it. So I'm really grateful, actually, to have, have had the opportunity to do that.
Thanks for listening to Alma, Am I Racist? You can find out more about the wonderful woman that Alma was and how she changed my life on almaamiracist.com. If you want to know more about Pita Dukes and to find out about her recovery coaching, you can follow her on Instagram, Pita Dukes Coaching. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.